you know, you're living in a war zone and you may not realize it. It's a funny thing because if you're living in a war zone, if, if you were living in, in a war like has taken over Eastern Europe, you know, what, what you would see is it would be impossible to miss that war zone, wouldn't it? Because you would see rockets and mortars and devastation that would be very apparent around you. And yet the scripture says that you're living in a war zone and that you should definitely take notice of it. And Paul's gonna actually describe for us in this passage of scripture that tenseness that we feel. And, and it's in your life, it's in my life, it's in all of our lives, you can't escape from it. And so the question is, how do we deal with it? How do we overcome that? How do we deal with the battle that's raging inside of us? And if it's hidden from you, you can't fight, right? You, you don't know to fight. And so that's why this, this passage of scripture, I think, speaks to me this week very importantly to open my eyes, especially with everything that I've been exposed to and some of the darkness that I've been exposed to. You know, you, you, you kind of love to live in your own little bubble. Or anybody here likes to live in the bubble like I do? I mean, I love being at church. It's great. I feel good here, you know? But when we step outside of here, we're in the mission field, aren't we? And, and, and really, when we step outside of here, or maybe right now inside of you, you feel it. You feel the war inside of you. I want us to start in Galatians chapter five and verse 16. Uh, the Apostle Paul has written this book to a group of churches or a church in the region of Galatia. And he writes to them and he's really trying to get them to understand that they're not bound by the law for salvation, they're bound by grace. But then he begins to talk to them about the flesh and the spirit. So in verse 16, he says, I say then walk by the spirit and you will certainly not carry out the desire for the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the spirit and the spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. When, when Paul is talking about this, he, he begins by talking in a familiar term because he talks about what our walk should look like. Now, if you've been here over the last year and a half or so, when we studied the book of Ephesians, you get to the latter half of the book of Ephesians in chapter four, five, and six. And I believe that term walk is used like three times. And when he's talking about walk, what he's, what he's saying is there's something about your life, the practice of your life that is supposed to look a certain way. And he says that we're to walk by the spirit and that helps us not carry out the desires of the flesh. So for us to produce the fruit of the spirit and this whole sermon series is on producing fruit. So we've been looking at what it's like to produce fruit of righteousness and we're looking now at the fruit of the spirit. And for us to be able to do that, we've got to go back to something we learned in Ephesians uh, chapter five where he said, be filled with the spirit. So for us to produce what the spirit wants to do in our lives, we have to be filled with the Spirit. And, and what, what that kind of indicates for us is if something is filled, there really isn't room for other things, right? I mean, if, if we came in here today, we wouldn't say that the room is filled. But if the room, it was capacity, you know, that there's no even room to bring in other chairs for people to sit in. So this becomes very important. When we talk about being filled in the Spirit, do you remember that we talked about it being a yielding of our lives to the Spirit's work? in our lives. So it's a moment by moment thing. It's not a one and done thing. Some people will say that when you're filled with the spirit, it comes after salvation. And, and they kind of sometimes use terms like it's the second blessing of the spirit. And, and I think what they're trying to describe are those moments in our lives where God's presence really becomes real to us 
again, and I've had that happen in my life, but, but that's not what he's talking about here. Because I can be filled with the Spirit, and then I can quench the Spirit. Quenching the Spirit, right, is, is to, to remove the fire from our lives. You know, and, and, and the Spirit, when it came and rested on the earliest disciples in, in the book of Acts, it said that it was like flaming tongues over their heads, and they began to speak in different tongues. Well, Pastor, are you saying that we need to speak in tongues? Maybe. When we talk about that, you say, well, Pastor, you believe in that? Yes, it's in the scripture, it happened. Well, what does that look like? Well, every time we see it in the scripture, it's intelligible language interpreted by someone for gospel proclamation. So yeah, if, if God gives you that gift, you're on a mission trip and or you run into someone here and, and God gives you that gift and you're able to proclaim the gospel to them in their language, praise the Lord, right? Uh, I, I know firsthand accounts of that happening. Uh, every mission trip I've ever been going, I've prayed for that. It's not happened to me yet, but I'm still hopeful. You know, maybe this year will be the year, right? You, you don't know. But when we talk about the fire of the spirit being quenched, what happens is we sin or we give into the flesh and God's working that white hot passion that he has in our lives, it diminishes. It, it, it gets a little cooler, right? Now here's a danger for us that we often don't think about. A lot of times in our lives, we think that we can sin and it's no big deal. I'm guilty of that. Are, are you ever guilty of that? It's like, well, I ask the Lord for forgiveness. Moving on. Now, we should be grateful that God forgives us, and he does every time. But our walk with the Spirit indicates that our practice of our lives should look differently than it did before. And the only way for that to happen is for us to be saved, number one, and Spirit-filled, number two. So for us to be saved, what does it mean? It means that in our lives, there's a point in time where we yield our life to King Jesus, recognizing that we're a sinner, because the Bible says we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And what that means is that to bridge the gap, something had to happen. We couldn't get back to God on our own. So God in his mercy sent Jesus to die in our place. And so when we give our lives to Christ, what happens is the restoration of the fellowship that we had with God. So that's the first step. And if you've never done that this morning, I wanna encourage you today, when we're finished with the sermon, when we're finished at the end of the service and I'm standing right here, I, I am imploring you, give your life to Christ today. Don't wait. But the Bible says when we're saved, the Holy Spirit comes to inhabit our lives and we're to walk in the Spirit. Your daily conduct. In fact, your walk with the Spirit is actually the only hope that you have of overcoming the flesh. It's impossible for us to do that. And so our, our walk is described here as needing to be with the Spirit. And then he goes on to describe the conflict. Our conflict is really found in what happens in verse 17. It says, the flesh desires what's against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. They are opposed to one another. The, the, the war that's going on inside of you is actually your flesh fighting the spirit of God once you're a believer. Now, here's the thing. When the Bible talks about our flesh, it's the old nature, right? Before we were in Christ, how we used to live. So when we talk about warring against the flesh, it's the natural part of us, the natural man, the natural woman that wants to gratify itself. And the scripture says, our flesh and our spirit are in conflict all the time. 
And why is that? Well, what, what happens is there's this picture, isn't there, uh, of a tug of war that's happening, right? I mean, if you watch a tug of war, they tie a ribbon on the middle of the rope and then we start pulling, right? And if the flesh is winning, it's pulling a little further this way. But the spirit of God is always trying to pull us towards him so that our life and our walk and our practice align with what's best for us as God has designed us. So this is very important that we understand this. Now, it's those things that we find in our lives going, why, why am I doing that? Why can't I overcome that? What is going on? And what's happening is it's the tug of war. And the scripture says it's two sides opposed to one another. And the opposition of the flesh is actually set up against what is God's best for our lives. So what we have to do is yield to the spirit. Now, this becomes very important. If you want to try to live according to the flesh and overcome the flesh by the flesh... Go read a self-help book and just set your mind to do something different. I, I challenge you this week. Get in your car and just be more patient. I dare you. Try it. You might win a little bit, but the flesh is probably going to overtake you. Right? Why does it do that? Why does it matter if somebody doesn't go at the stoplight right when it turns green? I mean, what nanosecond do you have to make up for this morning, right? But we all do the same thing. Eh, come on, move it. Let's go. Get out of the way. You're going too slow. That, that's me saying I'm important, right? That's the flesh trying to gratify itself, saying I'm number one. The spirit is yielding all the time to the Lord. And the only way for us to be able to fight the, in the conflict is for us to be strong in the spirit because the flesh is really strong. And you know why? Because it's natural. You were born that way. You were born desiring what you wanted when you want it. Any of you who've ever been parents know exactly what I'm talking about. Your children don't wait for anything, especially when they're little. They cry, they scream, they throw tantrums. They wanna be fed when they wanna be fed. If they're too tired, they cry. If they hadn't had enough sleep, they slide. If, if you put them to bed too early, they cry. I mean, why? Because they want what they want. There's no reason or logic behind it. It's the flesh already saying, me, 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 gratify me. We, we often say it like this, gratify me, help me. Whatever makes me happy, that's what I should do. That's the flesh. But the spirit of God comes along and he starts to change us. And, and Paul writes about what we used to look like. And I want to be very clear about this. This next passage of scripture might hit some of us in between the eyes like a two by four, right? Because of what I'm about to read. This, I want you to read verse 19 with me. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. It's almost like he says, and the list goes on and on, right? I'm warning you about these things as I warned you before that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. When he writes this, he groups these old habits of our lives into four areas. And before we look at those groups or areas, I want you to look back at verse 19 because there's a, a word in verse 19 that ought to jump off the page at you. 
See if you can find it for a second. Obvious. Obvious. He, he says the works of the flesh are obvious. The, the word that he uses there is, is one that means it stands out, it's made evident, it's manifest, or it's widely known. In other words, what he's saying is like, I mean, everybody knows this, right? Everybody knows this in the church. We ought to know this. But I think one of the things that is a real challenging point for us in the day and age in which we're living is because we may be asking ourselves a question, like I'm reading that list and I'm not sure that it's widely known. I'm not sure that it's obvious to me that these are all wrong. Pastor, is it really all bad to do any of these things? And and what he's saying to us is, uh, these habits in our lives, the old habits are bad for us. They're, They're works of the flesh. We're gratifying the flesh when we do these things. And I think it's important for you to understand something because in the day and the culture which we're living, it might be a little bit confusing because certain things in our culture are legal, but they're not moral. Legality is not morality. Don't lose sight of that. Legality is not morality. Legality, the ability to do something without criminal prosecution is not morality. Because we don't live any longer in our country with the Judeo-Christian ethic as the basis for everything that we do in our legal system. That's changing. So because of that, you have to understand something. You're going to be raising children and grandchildren and you'll be with friends who don't understand any of this. And you might scratch your head and wonder, but here's what can't happen. The church can't look like this. The church of Jesus Christ has to put these things to death. The church of Jesus Christ has to say, that's part of my flesh. I'm not gonna gratify that because that's the old habits. Now, here's what's gonna happen this week. There's something in this list that catches all of us. There's something in this list that was natural to us before we met Christ. Now, this is important. That's who we used to be, not who we are. Now, you can always go back to who you used to be but we're always compelled to live with who we are now in Christ. So as he starts to talk about these things, the the morality standard for us has to be the word of God. It can't be what the culture says. It can't be what our friends are doing. It can't be uh, what our social group does or our work does. It can't even be whether or not it's legal in the country. It has to be what the scripture says. And when he says the works of the flesh are obvious, what he's saying to you is, if you as a believer read this list and you were like, no kidding, something is wrong. Why? Because a spirit-filled life wars against these things. And if you can live in this without any conflict in your life, something is really wrong. Because you're not heeding and yielding to the voice of conviction right? The, the, the spirit in our lives, like I always say this, like as a believer, the scariest place for you to be is when you're not convicted by sin anymore. It's scary. If I sin, I want to feel bad about it, right? I, I, I don't enjoy feeling bad about it, but I want the presence of the Lord. I want to know that. I don't want God to remove his presence from me. You know, that's David's prayer in Psalm 51. Don't take your presence from me. I want the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. I want to be filled with that. So let's look at these for just a second. We'll group them in four ways if you're, if you're taking notes under our old habits. The, the first are sins of sexuality. The second, idolatry. The third, personal relationships. And the fourth, 
really deals with our relationship to alcohol. And I wanna take a moment and explain through these for a moment because I don't want you to be unaware or confused about whether or not it should be part of your life. I don't want that to be a thing. I want you to be able to understand these and go, all right, I need to examine my life for this and make sure that these things are not part of how I am living. So let's just, let's look through these. As he starts with sexual sin, he says the works of the flesh are obvious. There's sexual immorality, moral impurity, and promiscuity. And, and when he talks about the, the first term there that he's using could have been translated in some of the older translations, the word fornication. In other words, it's any kind of sexual relationship outside of marriage. And you say, well, is there an exception to that? No, it's not. And you can try to do spiritual gymnastics to make that work, but it doesn't work because God's law is clear about that. Uh, the, the way that we should relate to one another sexually should be husband and wife, man and woman, in the confines of a covenant marriage relationship. That's very important that we understand that. We're not to give that away. We're not to be frivolous with that. And that's kind of where, where he continues on there when he says, uh, you shouldn't have uh, sexual immorality, you shouldn't have moral impurity or promiscuity. Th those words, he's saying fornication, the word impurity, anything that's not pure would be outside of the confines of a marriage relationship. And, and then this last word that he uses, when he says promiscuity, what he says is that, that, it's that word that we, we don't really use anymore, it's lewdness. It's the idea that, that, that you're, you're just excited about sexual sin and it's unrestrained. We live in an unrestrained world when it comes to that. The more evil, the better. And we want every one of us to applaud it and say it's good. It's not. Not because I have an opinion about it, but because God has an opinion about it, okay? So that's an important thing for us to understand. And so as Christians, He's saying that should be obvious to you. And, and if it's not obvious, why not? Is it because you're believing what the culture says? Is it because you're engaged in an activity right now and you shouldn't be because maybe somebody has, has encouraged you to do that? Is it because you're involved in the consumption of pornography? This week, I was at a, that, that Unite the Light conference and they were talking about sex trafficking. And do you know what would be the fastest thing to kill sex trafficking in the world is if we stop looking at pornography. So you can put an X on your hand, but if you're looking at pornography, right? I mean, if, if, if that's part of the flesh, you put the X for, for sex trafficking, I'm anti-sex trafficking, but if you're consuming that, you're feeding the problem. There are real consequences to these things in real people's lives. It's not just us. So when we wanna gratify our flesh, we're often not thinking about the fallout around us, right? I mean, because that's how it is. The flesh is selfish. I want it what I want, when I want it, how I want it now. So he says to us, those shouldn't be there. Then he says, idolatry, and he says, to us that idolatry and witchcraft shouldn't be part of our lives. And, and I think this is important for us to always stop again and think because most of us in the Western culture go, Brother Jeff, I've never looked at an idol and worshiped it. And I haven't either in terms of a little statue. But what could be an idol in our lives? 
I was with one of my family members last week and we were just talking about something and he was talking about a, a renovation that had to be done in his house. And he said, I've just been really frustrated with it. And my wife looked at me the other day and said, this is an idol. Well, I mean, he needs to get it done. But could it supplant what's most important? Because that's what idolatry is, isn't it? When, when we give our heart's devotion, affection, attention to something that isn't the Lord. So we remove him from the throne of our lives and we chase other things, whether it's pleasure. And listen, God created this world for you to enjoy it, but not for you to make an idol of it. Is it power? Is it, is it finances? Is it, is it your position? Is it, I mean, what is it? Is it your children? Is it, is it your wife? Is it your job? What, what is it that could be that? Then he, he couples that with saying sorcery or witchcraft. And I think this is important for us to understand. You know, we're, we're about to be at Halloween right here and, and all those kinds of things. And I would just say to you, don't turn your brain off to things that are witchcraft and sorcery. Have your mind open to that to see that it's sneaky, right? I mean, it's, it's not always gonna confront you like somebody riding a broom in and casting a spell on you. If that does happen, I'd like to talk to you about it because I've only seen that in the movies. It's not like that, is it? It's sneaky. It's what we watch. It's what we engage in. It's the things that we do. It's, it, it's trying to do things like uh, engage in, in astrology and, and all those things that everybody tells you are just harmless. They're not harmless. The prince of darkness loves to sneak in because it's a lot easier to sneak in than kick down the door. So have your mind open to that and understand I need to be aware that these things could be coming in. And those things don't have any place in my life. Anything that even smells like that needs to be out of here. I don't need that in my life. Then he uses nine words to describe a life that is out of control relationally. Let me just read them again for us. He says, you shouldn't have hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, or envy. When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, he said they, we were to love the Lord our God and the second one was like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Take those words, look at them, and ask whether or not that helps you love your neighbor. Like when, when, when I'm filled with hatreds, that's an incompatibility. When there's strife or I'm the one causing dissension all the time, if I'm the one who's stuck in my ways and inflexible and won't give in to things that don't matter, I'm not talking about doctrine, I'm not talking about morality, but are you the kind of person that has to be in control of everything? Are you the kind of person that's always having outbursts of anger? I mean, it just says it's, it's fury is the word that it uses there. I mean, it's an, an interesting word, just a furious thing coming on and envy of everybody. And you can't build healthy relationships like that. When any of those markers are found in your life, something is fractured in the relationships that are, are around you. And so what he's saying to us is that's how we used to be. It used to be me, 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 me. And Jesus says, when you come to know him, it becomes you, 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 you. It's not about me anymore. Can I step aside for a second and just tell you how hard that is? Am I the only one in the room? Because I think I'm pretty important. 
I like what I like when I like it. I don't like my schedule being changed. I don't like wrenches that are thrown to me. I don't like seeding control of things, right? I mean, do you ever feel that way? Do you understand what he's saying? Why, why the flesh and the spirit are in opposition then? You feel the tug of war, don't you? So we, we come to church and, I mean, it's little things. Oh man, there's no parking spots that are closed. Somebody's in my seat. The coffee was a little bit cold this morning. And, uh, can they not buy better coffee? I mean, how come they don't have donuts anymore? Last week I was freezing and this week I'm burning up. I mean, right? I mean, it's little things. And that seems really subtle, doesn't it? I mean, it does to me too. Because I mean, I say the exact same things. I'm the same person. Do you feel the tug of war? And, and what has to happen is when those things come up, the only way for me to overcome that is to lean back into the spirit and say, Lord, I know that's not for me. I know that's not from you. So because it's not for me and it's not from you, I need to give into the spirit here. I need to yield that. So my, my personal relationships are very important. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ today and your personal relationships are a mess, you have missed the obvious. It's obvious these things shouldn't be here, he says. A reasonable believer may do some of these things, but they ought not be comfortable with them. Oh, and then you knew I was going to get to alcohol. You thought we were running out of time. I wouldn't be a good Baptist preacher if I had a passage on that and didn't read it. Can I just speak to you about this for a second? Uh, notice what it says. It says that drunkenness and carousing and any similar thing should not be named among you. If you're waiting on the day where I'm gonna tell you that it's a great idea to drink and it's okay, you're at the wrong church. I'm sorry, I'm not gonna do it, I can't do it. It used to be a moral conviction and then it became a pragmatic conviction when I had the opportunity to work in a sheriff's office because everybody that we ran into was doing things because they were not in control of their own bodies or they were trying to feed a habit. Or, I mean, it, it was amazing. I bet 90 to 95% of the people that we interacted with and were arrested and different things like that, something was behind that. And I know everybody in here who disagrees with me on this issue goes, but I'm not like that. I can handle my stuff. Till you can't, that's the problem. So I'm always gonna advocate for you to see this as a wisdom issue because that's what Proverbs says. Wine's a mocker, beer's a brawler. Those who are led astray by them are not wise. In Ephesians, we learned we're not to be drunk, but we're to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So what's it talking about? Control of your life. So obviously, when we talk about being drunk, we're already outside of the parameters of anything that God would have for us. It's never commended to be drunk. It's never right. It's absolutely wrong for us to be drunk. But the second word that he says, it's, it's really funny. It's just carousing. That word's translated in other translations of the scripture as drinking parties. What's the matter with just going over to my friends and having a couple drinks? A drinking party leads oftentimes to other things on the list. So I just, I implore you, some of us need to re-examine our relationship with alcohol. And I know that we're living in a different day than the day that I grew up in, and it's a different day, it's everywhere. It's, it's really pushed on us and it's thrown us, but I'm just encouraging you, don't run past that. You're never gonna hear me tell you, 
Go do that. It's wonderful. Because I get to see the backside of it. And the backside of it is never good. All right, so quickly, verses 22 through 25 describes our new life. And I want you to notice the opposition to the old life. Now, what he doesn't do is give us kind of four groupings that match the others because that's not what it is. In fact, in verse 19, it said, the works of the flesh are evident, obvious. But in verse 21, it says the fruit. Did you notice works, fruit, plural, singular. What happens is when I'm controlled with the Holy Spirit, walking with the Spirit, these things become characteristics of my life. And, and so, you know, we asked you that question not long ago about which one of these are you lacking in and which one do you feel like you're doing well in? And, and I admit that's kind of a, a, a bogus question because they're all supposed to be there, right? I mean, that's, but bear with me. But the fruit of the Spirit in verse 22 is love, joy, peace, patience, patience kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit and not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. When we read these, you begin to see a little bit of the heart of God, don't you? You begin to see what God is trying to reproduce in our lives. I'm always fascinated by systems and corporations and organizations that can reproduce things. I mean, it's, it's very hard to do, isn't it? It's very hard to reproduce a culture. It's very hard to reproduce a skill set in someone. So, you know, when you watch a corporation that can do that and they really get it and they get buy-in from people or you, you watch some of the things that happen in our military and how they're able to reproduce that and get leadership and, and train people to do things. It's, it's a very fascinating thing to watch. God's trying to do the same thing in our lives. He's trying to allow the Holy Spirit to reproduce something in your life because we need it. So, so these things begin to show us who God is and who he expects us to be. So when he talks about love, Patton was so right last week as he talked about, I mean, how can we know love if we haven't known the love of the Father? That's the only way that we know love. We love because he first loved us. We begin to see that that's an important thing because if I'm loving God, then it's very hard for me to be engaged in the practice of idolatry, isn't it? It, it doesn't work that way because God is on the throne of my life. If I'm loving people, then those relationships start to look different. Those nine things that lead to fractured relationships are different. If, if I'm loving people, then it really changes how I view sexual relationships, doesn't it? Because people are not commodities to be used for my enjoyment or my pleasure, right? It's, it's not about me. It's about being in a relationship with the Lord, being in a relationship in a covenant and loving my neighbor as myself. I mean, it's, it's a totally different set of, of circumstances there. The, the life of peace only comes to us when we know Jesus Christ. The life of joy only comes to us when we know Jesus Christ. We're gonna look at that next week, how the joy of the Lord is our strength. What does that even mean? Does joy just mean that we're happy? Does it just mean that we're, we're excited about what God's doing? It certainly has a component of that, but it's so much more than that, isn't it? Because what it means in our lives is that, that God has replaced the sorrow of sin in our lives with the joy of the Lord. It becomes the strength that we need. And just to top it off, as he finishes this list of these nine characteristics, he says self-control. 
Well, that's interesting because when we were reading at the end about drunkenness and, and, and going out of control with alcohol, and then that list says in anything like it. Why do we need self-control? Because the truth of it is, without the Holy Spirit in our lives, so many of us would live lives that are out of control. Do you know that God wants you to have self-control over your finances? Do you know that he wants you to have self-control in the way that you speak to people with your tongue? Do you know that he wants to control your actions, your thought life? I mean, self-control comes from the Holy Spirit. And God wants us to have that. I, I can't just say like, I'm going to do better this week and have self-control. I might do that for a little while, but the overcoming power comes from the Holy Spirit. And that's the fruit that we bear. So I'm just gonna close this kind of portion of the service by asking you this question. Is there anything that's obvious from the list that was given that are works of the flesh that you're dealing with? If you're breathing, the answer is probably yes, right? We could all say amen because we all feel that. But the answer to that is not to try harder. The answer to that is, is, is to not blow it off. The answer to that is to yield our lives to the Holy Spirit. To ask God to forgive us of those things, to cleanse us of those things, to drive it far from us. And this week, as we're tempted, to yield to the Spirit. To let the Spirit produce the fruit that is consistent with righteousness in our lives and consistent with the character of the Lord. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have not left us on our own to fight these things in our lives. And we just pray today that you would help us to live holy before you and to really bear the fruit of the Spirit. Holy Spirit, we need your conviction today because some of us, Lord, might be living with those obvious things that are not so obvious to us, but maybe by reading them this morning from your word, our lives have been convicted. Help us, Lord. Lord, let us not get our morality from the culture or a country that makes laws that are designed to please people, but don't worry about righteousness. Lord, help us live righteously before you. And I pray for all of us in here this morning who are struggling. We're feeling the tug of war. Father, would you give us power over the darkness? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from that evil, for yours is the kingdom. Holy Spirit, fill us. Work in our lives for our good and your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.